We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try. <laughs> hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. Uh, we were just laughing because Jacob asked me if I was ready to go and he thought I paused, which I did, but it's because I was burping silently. <laughs> so that's that's what you missed, listeners, and welcome to Hey Jacob, Hi Scott. <laughs> we never plan, uh, we never plan to make each other laugh as we're hitting the start button, but it always seems to happen. So that's good. Yeah. What's up with you, mister? Oh man. Um it's felt like a pretty a pretty solid week, like a lot of a lot of new activity going on. We've got some, I've got a, a new workshop um, in the works with uh, Julia Cameron. We talked about that this week, so that'll come up in May sometime. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, development work this week. How about you? I just had a good friend visit, my first visitor in Santa Fe, who stayed oh. with me. And it was really great for a few days. It was, uh, you know, I, I am someone, and I know I'm not alone in this, that I love when plans cancel, even if it's with the people I love the most. Oh my God, yes. A lot of the time. <laughs> um, but I'm so happy that he came out and it worked and he was here and had such a great time. Mm. And um, and I start tomorrow the training, the week-long um, breathwork training. I'm very excited about that. And yeah, feeling good feeling generally pretty good. Oh, that's great. I, I'm laughing about your loving plans canceling. I, there, there's, I don't, it's, it exists in its own category for me, but I don't know of anything in that category that makes me feel more elated than when, <laughs> even if it's something I'm looking forward to. I know. Isn't that wild? And I've seen a thousand memes about this. Like it's no, this is a, yeah. an introvert thing. Like I think a lot yeah. of people, but it is, it's wild for me to check in with myself. And even my, my friend was like, I was surprised you, you said to come. <laughs> <laughs> like, and he's like, and I know you would have said, don't come if you didn't want me to. I'm like, yeah, no, of course I wanted you to, but yeah. it is funny to check in with that part. That's always like, well, they cancel. I'll just get to spend time alone, which is all I ever do <laughs> anyway. Like, it's nothing to get excited about. I had a great conversation with a friend of mine um, yesterday that lasted about an hour uh, as a phone call. I generally don't love phone calls. And it's funny when I have these things on the calendar, you know, coming up in two or three days, I can feel myself like going, uh, but I, but I know with, you know, same, same with you and your friend. I know that if, that it's not something I want to kick kick down the road because no, I'm, and we ended up having this incredible conversation, of course, and I knew it would, yeah. but but had she, had she canceled, I would have also felt really great about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny because I was actually we're talking about this, and it it feels like a natural segue because I was I was thinking I don't know if we've really talked about relationships and friendships, mm -hmm. and I thought that could be an interesting. Uh, subject to play with today. Yeah. And um, are you like, do you, do you have a lot of close friendships? How do you approach friendship or do you have a few people that you confide in or how to, how does that look for you? That is such an interesting question. My, my men's group leader uh, some years ago spotted this in me and um, 
and because you know they he has a really gift for reflecting people's um attributes and things he said jacob i feel like you're my best friend and he said but then he followed that up and he said and here's the thing i think that probably a lot of people feel that way about you (laughs) and i laughed and and he's like is that does that ring true And i said probably and he said it doesn't doesn't seem like you're being fake or anything at all but or or that you're you know giving the impression of more friendship than you're he said i just think you have kind of that aura around you and i think that's probably true and it's been actually a very interesting thing scott over the years to um to know that i do have a big heart and i'd love to welcome people and make sure they feel welcomed and in terms of the people i would consider really really close um, and when I say that, that's like, no, we're going to go hang out, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis. That's a pretty small number. Yeah. Yeah. I probably you? say the same. I have, I have many, many close friends that I'm not in regular contact with at all, mm-hmm. but with whom I could sit and there's so much love and, you know, you would get right back into where you were. I have many of those people. Mm-hmm. In terms of the people that I'm actually in communication with, it's just a small handful, mm-hmm. you know. So I feel like on my travels around the country, I was able to see lots of the friends that are close friends that I don't talk to every day, mm-hmm. which was beautiful because I have friends all over the country. And that was really lovely and wonderful to connect that way. And I love I love the feeling. The friend that was just visiting me, I would say, is one of those people. We don't talk very often. Mm-hmm. He was here. and we had such a beautiful time together and I love feeling the presence of that, like being present with the friend you're with and allowing the openness and vulnerability and love and whatever else to get explored in that moment. And then who knows when I'll talk to him again. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's okay. And that's beautiful. And for me, um, yeah, I love that. The other thing I've, I've been thinking about with, friendship because in the past few years I've parted ways with a few very close friends, people who were in the more regular rotation Mm -hmm. and they were painful partings. And I've, I've come to discover Jacob and I, I feel this sounds kind of pessimistic or I don't, I don't know how it sounds, but I don't, I guess I don't have faith, but not in a, not in a dark way, not in a heavy way. I don't really look at any of my friendships, even my closest ones that are Mm -hmm. family as with confidence that they're going to be in my life forever. Mm. I look at them with the possibility that would be the case with the hope, with joy, if that's the case. But I Mm. feel like I've experienced it enough times now with friends that I thought would be in my life forever who are no longer in my life Hmm. to understand that we don't really have those guarantees around friendship. Mm -hmm. And again, this isn't, this doesn't feel heavy to me though, to it's not in, in the friendships I have, I cherish, you Mm -hmm. know, and I feel I'm a very good friend and they're good friends to me. And it's certainly possible that when we're 80, we'll still be calling each other on the phone, (laughs) but I also know it's possible we won't be. And I think that I've gotten much more comfortable with just acknowledging the fluidity of friendships and the way Mm. that we can move in and out of each other's lives, even when Mm. we're so deeply close in one moment. 
Yeah, and that's that's really interesting. And I, this is a it's you. I think we've probably mentioned this before, Scott. But the idea of you know the, you see memes out there. I'm sure a lot as I do. Um, you know, cut people, to- cut toxic people out of your life, or you know, all these things. And I, you know, sometimes I cringe a little bit when I see that because some of it just feels so. Uh, I don't know. Um, well, it feels harsh. It doesn't feel like it does a whole lot of uh, honor to the complexity sometimes of friendships um, and any relationship like that. But I'm I'm curious when you go through a some sort of a separation like that. What would you like to tell us about why that happens and how how what your process is for knowing that it's time or whatever? I mean, it varies completely on the circumstance, but I feel it's very painful. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was listening to uh, Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, and they were talking about breakups and how breakups in friendships there's no there's no word for it i mean you don't call it a divorce and there's really no energy or ritual created around it it's Hmm. like if a marriage ends or even a long-term relationship that's not a marriage ends we understand that the people are grieving their relationship and there's Mm -hmm. there's this massive fallout from it but if you're friends with someone for 20 years close friends and you get to a place where you decide not to be in friendship with one another mm-hmm. that's as traumatic you know or can yeah. be as traumatic depending on the closeness of the friendship and we don't in our culture have any sort of ritual around it we don't we don't address it in any way we don't honor people who are dealing with that we don't recognize it we don't check in on them we just are like we don't do anything that I know of. <laughs> you know, like I taught, like when I went through it with different friends, I talked to my cl- other close friends and say, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they listen to me, but there's, I don't feel like we check in on each other when we have fallouts with close friends, the way we might when someone's going through a divorce. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. And it's, there's a mourning period, you know, mm-hmm. at least there has been for me in, in, I can think of three close friendships in the last five years that were very dear friends and we went our own ways and decided that it wasn't working for whatever reasons. And in mm-hmm. each case, it I, I went through more. I had to mourn it, you know, and it didn't just happen overnight. It's, mm-hmm. It was a process. Um, and in each case, I felt really clear that it was the right choice. You know, it's not, and and that's another thing. I think sometimes we can know we're doing the right thing for ourselves, or if someone else is doing it and we get to a place of understanding it was the right thing, it doesn't mean that we are not going to mourn it. It doesn't mean that it's not very difficult and hard and we go through all the same emotions that we might go through, even if we're, whether you're clear you're, you're leaving something that feels toxic to you or whether you're leaving something that just feels like, it's no longer good. Maybe it's not so toxic, but it, you're, you're not really serving each other anymore. Whatever the circumstances, I feel like in my experience, there's a mourning period. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that <laughs> I have a question for you uh, to follow up on this part, but I, I think that I heard a comedian talk about marriage one time and he had gone through divorce and people were going, oh, and he's like, you don't, you stop that right now. He's like, there is no 
awesome marriage that people are in love and doing great and they're great partners and then they and then they get divorced. You know, that would be a tragedy. He's like, it's not actually a tragedy when two people, you know, break up or divorce um, who, who've who've had not, they're not a good match. Um, <laughs> but so I don't think that we're nothing about what we're talking about here is, oh, yeah, just go through your list of friends and go, yeah, we're, we're really great for each other. But, you know, I think I should be done with it. <laughs> it's not going to be that. But but so so toxic or just not great for you or whatever. I'm curious if you're willing to, uh, and I know that this can't be a generalized thing, but mm-hmm. if you are in a friendship or connection and you begin to notice the markers of something needs to be adjusted or, or, or you know, possibly even a a break in this kind of communion. Like, what do you notice as some markers of those, Scott? I mean, for me, I think that there is a, a clear trampling of boundaries Mm. that like, and perhaps a repeated trampling of boundaries that have been clearly stated. I mean, with one friend of mine, I felt wildly disrespected by him Mm. in two different occasions, but egregiously so. And so the first time we talked through it, we worked through it. And then a month later, another thing happened. And I'm like, whoa, it, it was so clear to me that this was not a person who was considering me in in his choices, in the way that I would consider him. And it was, it, it just felt, it felt for me very clear that I do not want to be in relationship with someone who has so little consideration for me in the ways that I was feeling unconsidered. Mm-hmm. And it just became clear to me that this isn't, this isn't okay for me. And this isn't something I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for me, I think what happens so often is people don't aren't clear with their boundaries. And so then they build up, we, we, I'll put a we, because I've certainly done this a thousand times over. We build up resentment towards someone who's continuing to continuing to step over our boundaries. But then when we check in with ourselves, we find, well, I've never really made my boundaries clear. Right. And when that's the case, I know I have to take ownership for that. But if I am being clear with my boundaries and I'm in relationship with someone who's continuing to disrespect them Mm -hmm. and not even because my boundaries don't align with their boundaries, just because they're being disrespectful, there's something to look at there. And beyond all of this, Jacob, I would encourage people to just consider always, how do you feel in the relationships that you're inviting into your life? Mm -hmm. These are, these are some of the most important choices we're ever going to make. Who are we choosing to allow into our lives and give our energies to in a deep and intimate way? And if, if those choices are rooted in, in a not so good feeling like mm-hmm. that's really something to look at and consider because that's a lot of energy we're expending on something or for someone that ultimately isn't serving us in a good way. So that word boundaries, I mean, it, it is so <clears throat> ubiquitous out there right now and has been, and I've, I've learned to love it and partly because I learned how, messy and porous most of my boundaries were most of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i would love it if you're willing to maybe not in a particular situation but just in 
more general terms, but but more general specific terms. Um, no, I would love to, I'd love if you give some examples of because I mean I think when we say the word boundaries, sometimes it can just sound it's like self love or, or or inner peace. It's a wonderful word, and I think that sometimes people go, I don't even really know what a boundary is or when I should set one. So I'm curious, what, how would you answer something like that? Well, I want to throw this back at you because you just said you used to not have any boundaries, which suggests you have better boundaries now. So what what did that look like for you? What were boundaries you didn't have? that you noticed and then what did you you know initiate in your life uh okay yeah that's that's fair bounce the ball back to me (laughs) i've been talking a lot this episode come on now (laughs) oh good question well so oh that's interesting scott where we started this conversation and you asked about friends and i talked about this you know this sense of, and I've had a number of people tell me that, like, no, you have this big warm aura, and I think you do too. Um, And I think that it was interesting growing up with my mother, who is genuinely a person who just loves to include a lot of people and is very fluid, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's setting an appointment to, you know, hang out or take a walk or, you know, a dinner or or anything, it, it can get she just tends to be very, very fluid with all that. It was interesting later um, in the last several years to take the strengths finder um, assessment. And <laughs> so one of the strengths is um, includer, which means that you, again, you just include a lot of people into your, into your sphere. And I assumed that I would have includer really high. I, it was out of the 34 skills, it was the 34th. It was dead last. Wow. Interesting. Yes. And the coach that I had who was working with me and using this assessment as a tool said, she started laughing and she said, does that surprise you? And I said, actually it does. It, I'm shocked by that. And she said, well, why? And I told her a, a bit about growing up and, and being the oldest child and also my mother's confidant in so many ways. I actually took on her her strength, something that is actually a strength for her, and tr- basically just assumed it was mine. And that I need, and not only that, that I had a responsibility to include everyone in my inner circle, which meant that that I would get very quickly exhausted. I would feel resentful and angry at times about people who I felt encroached upon by. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, they're assuming they're in my inner circle, but then I wouldn't feel like I could create distance without making them feel rejected or less than in some way it felt it always felt really um illegitimate to me to to create some distance with people and as someone um who has a pretty wide social media circle much like you do um i would find that people i had never ever met weren't in my town i would have that internal pressure and and rochelle my coach said yeah that's you're, you have responsibility high, so you're actually carrying the weight of feeling like you have to really let everybody into your inner circle. You get exhausted quickly by that. And you also feel responsible to um, make sure everyone feels that level of being included. She's like, the truth is, it doesn't mean you have to start being cold or dismissive with people. But the more that you can honor the fact that you have a very, very small inner circle 
And those are the people you, I'll give you an example. There were, there was a woman on, on social media years ago, it has been a long time, who would jump onto a thread. She, and she was one of these just like completely boundaryless, would jump onto threads and she would do these really kind of, for me, off-putting things of anytime she would jump into one of my threads, she would post an article that she had just written. Um, it, it always felt, it always felt very, um, uh, you know, it, I was being encroached upon. It didn't feel good. I didn't know how to address it. Um, in the past, Scott, I would feel like I would need to set a time and go and really work with that person and share my, the way I felt and then hear them and then work something out. And I did with this person. And I, I set a boundary at that point. Again, this has been years ago when I was just, just starting to come into some of this. And, and she's like, oh my God, yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying. And thank you so much for taking the time. And I spent an hour on the phone with her. And um, um, I don't know, three weeks later, she was back to her old tricks doing exactly the same stuff. And it was really hard for me. And I unfriended and blocked her um, on social media. And I, again, it felt really hard. Um, I didn't want to do it. And this is not somebody I was close to. I'd been on her podcast at one point or something, but it wasn't, it wasn't somebody I would consider like a great friend. Um, so that's a long ass way of answering your question. And I think that's a fairly common one for me that, that, that seems to be one I have to kind of work with quite a little bit. But why did it seem hard to, why did it seem hard to block her and unfriend her? Like what was going on for you? That just always feels violent to me. Um, yeah, that's, I don't do it very often. Um, mm-hmm. On some of my pages, I've got a little better. If people are just showing up as trolls, I've got, you know, it's like yeah. there's 200,000 people on this page. If this person's going to be an asshole, I don't even need to spend energy on it. I can just block and move on. Um, and I find that when I do engage those people, and I, that was something I would do a lot, would be I would get get in conversation with them and, you know, maybe say something snarky, but then circle right back around and, try to have an open hearted conversation. I found that I was spending an enormous amount of my life energy on trying to smooth something out with people who really were, were not, they were committed to misunderstanding me anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It's a time suck and an energy suck. I mean, social media has added a whole different dynamic to it because yeah. we're interacting with so many more people. Yeah. Um, and I can relate to everything you're saying. I've gotten much more relaxed about blocking, but it still feels, it's always a little bit of a shoulder shrug and tension in it, Totally. you know, and oh. also relief. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the important thing to recognize too, in the choices we're making. It's like, when I think about the friendships that have fallen away, hmm. there's been a profound sense of relief with each of them. And I think that that feeling of relief is such a powerful indicator mm-hmm. because I can think of any number of people in my life whom if they called me and said, I don't want to be friends anymore, relief would not at all be what I'm feeling. You know, it would just be sadness and disappointment mm-hmm. and heartbreak. But with these friends, there was sadness and disappointment and heartbreak, but also it was like elephants mm-hmm. lifting off my shoulders, which for mm-hmm. me was an indication this was not a good thing for you, mm. you know? And, and what I feel so clear about in the context of any sort of relationship is 
if it's not good for one of the people involved, it's not good for either of the people involved. Like there is no, there's no way it can be good for the person mm-hmm. who's, who thinks it's good for them while the other one is struggling. There's a really great line in one of my favorite movies. It's um, the, the movie's The Ref and mm. it's with um, Kevin Spacey and Judy uh, Davis. It's, oh. and, uh, it's a very, very funny movie, but the opening scene is them in couples therapy. And <laughs> she's like this really animated, you know, personality and he's very stoic. And, and she looks at him and she's like, well, how can it be that I'm miserable in this relationship and hated and suffering and no, 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 And you're just fine with it. And he looks at her and he's, he's like, luck. <laughs> 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 who, who, is the, who is the who is the that reminds me i want to go watch that one again because i loved it uh who was the the red-haired comedian who plays the uh yeah, the Dennis Leary. He's Dennis the, Leary. that's right yeah it's a really it's really one of my favorite movies i love it so much but i you know i've had the experience in whether in different types of relationships where i was feeling resentful and frustrated and the other person I could tell was just like overjoyed and feeling great about how things are. And it's very easy to pin that mm-hmm. on the other person as like, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they tuning in? And which is where my mm-hmm. mind goes. Like, why aren't they tuning in to my dissatisfaction with what's going on? Which is a mm-hmm. reminder for me, again, that nobody is a mind reader. And even the people closest to me, and I know this because I feel I'm one of the most sensitive people on the planet. And I have so often missed the mark with people in my life. Mm-hmm. I was not tuned in to what was going on for them. Mm-hmm. Um, be, and, and to expect people to know what's, what we're thinking, even those who are closest to us, is, is to do a disservice to the relationship. If we're not willing to communicate what's going on for us, it's not fair to expect others are going to know it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is excellent. I was talking with somebody the, the other day about boundaries and this person's a therapist and they were saying I think it was in um Harriet Lerner's book The Dance of Intimacy and they talk she talks a lot about that in that book. Um but they were saying, you know, when somebody in in your life sets a boundary, says I need to limit my time with you or I I need you not to do these behaviors with me or whatever it is, um, a boundary is an indication that they actually want to stay in relationship with you. Yeah. They're actually indicating, Hey, I'm, we need to negotiate how, how we are connected, but it's, and, and it was interesting in this conversation, we were talking about how easy it is for people to interpret a boundary, especially if they grew up in a situation of no boundaries or, or, or loose boundaries. Um, so they got very much kind of baked into their framework that boundaries equal rejection, boundaries equal um, a lack of connection in some way. So it's really easy to interpret a boundary being set as, wow, I did something really, really wrong. And and I love, I love that gentler view of it that says, no, actually, this person is saying they still want to be in connection with you, but they need to they need to work differently for now and also understand that these things evolve and trust takes mm-hmm. time to evolve. And when a boundary has been set and it's honored, that's a t- deposit in the trust bank, but it also, it, it has to be a regular deposit in the trust bank. And, and once it's then established that that's going to be honored, 
sometimes the person who set the boundary is willing to move it a little bit. So it's not like this, you know, great wall of China that gets built. When we're talking about boundaries. It's a negotiation. Yeah, I love that. I love that perspective on it. I, I, yeah, I believe boundaries are a sign of respect for all parties involved. Mm-hmm. I don't believe we are, I don't believe most of us are out there wanting to trample each other's boundaries. I think yeah. more often than not, we simply don't have any clue what each other's boundaries are. What and, is, what even is a boundary, Scott? I mean, again, what, like, how would you what, describe What's a that? boundary? Um, yeah. Well, like a, a very basic boundary would be how your space So you're in your home. What does that look like for you when you have guests over? So for me in my home, when I have anybody over, it's shoes off at the door, please. Hmm. You know, that's a, that's like a very loose boundary. That's like a, a, you can call it a rule, but that's a way that I take care of feeling good in my space. Okay. I happen to be someone who has coasters so that people aren't just putting glasses down on like a wood table. I'll have a coaster there. These are these are casual examples of me creating, those feel more like rules, but it also feels like I'm creating boundaries in my space that allow me to feel good about having people over. Yeah. You know? You sound um, like one of them gays, like, to be honest. I know. Coasters. <laughs> Coasters. She's <laughs> off at the door. I'm very fastidious. Um, not as much as I used to be. Hmm. Uh, I think that the the road trip cleared some of that out of me in a very positive way. Well, you, you know, started walking around. Yeah. Yeah. What would a boundary look like in terms of, of communication in a, in a relationship? Like perhaps in dialogue, if you're in relationship with someone who's always interrupting mm. and that's something you could bring up, Hey, I'm not okay with you interrupting me continuously. Mm-hmm. That's for me establishing a boundary about the way we communicate. Mm-hmm. And if you continue to do that, I'm not going to, want to communicate with you as often yeah. because it doesn't feel good for me. I feel disrespected in that moment. I had a friend, I don't know if I told this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we've told these stories before. <laughs> um, I had a, a friend who on her 50th, as her 50th birthday was approaching, I think I have told this, she, she grew up with fairly emotionally abusive parents mm-hmm. and her mother especially so. And she decided she was finally going to set a clear boundary with her mom. And she, she told her mom and her, they lived about two miles from where she lived. And she told her mom, when we're on the phone, if you start going at me in that way that you go at me, I'm going to hang up on you. Mm. And if I'm in your home, I'm going to walk out. Mm. So she established a very clear boundary with her mother. You can't communicate this way to me anymore, or there will be repercussions. And then she enforced it. She got on the phone with her mom. Her mom started doing the emotional abusive things she does. And my friend hung up on her. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. talked again. My friend hung up on her. My friend was at their their home. Her mom came in again and my friend left. And that's all it took. Mm -hmm. Those three times. Mm -hmm. And it shifted the way her mother communicated with her, not because her mother was suddenly enlightened, but because her mother understood that if she wants to have a relationship with her daughter, she had, she can't do these things. Yeah. For me, that's a very bold, clear boundary. Yeah. And it changed the dynamic in my friend's relationship with her mom. So much so that when my friend was over the house, the dad started going in at her and the mother shut the dad up and said, she's going to leave. She's going to leave. Well, it is such a cliche, but it's true. You know, people treat us the way we we teach them to. And absolutely, these old standing patterns of behavior, of treatment, of what we've allowed, you know, it's like, wow, uh, yeah, that, um, 
that that is something that I've been and I had to learn that also in my life like that is something that I've been teaching these people for decades in some cases exactly what I will t- tolerate and that by the way that word tolerate I feel like is such a key anybody listening right now going okay I'm starting to get a little clearer on boundaries on what this means what it might mean to me Scott going through the the retreat recently we used my personal assessment and part of that is looking at our community, our, you know, our family and our friends and our, you know, community and giving us, give, give, sort of assessing that giving it a rating, like, okay, yeah, I feel really good about these, the way I'm moving around in these parts, circles of my, of my community. And then these ones over here, this is how I'm feeling about that. And what's so interesting is to watch the light bulbs come on. I just happen to have that be a recent experience to do this frequently with individual clients also where watching the light bulbs come on and have them go, Oh my God, this is taking up so much space in my life and has been for so long. And I'm like, that's, let's just pretend that's fluid in your creative self lungs. Like if we get that out of there, you're going to breathe more deeply and you're going to have greater health and joy in your life. And you might discover that it opens up space and vigor energy to, um, to really go after some of the other things you want to create. And I love it when people begin to make that connection. Um, and one of the tools that I often use, and I just did, just did this with myself the other day, actually, I was feeling upset, just sort of a generalized upset, no, nothing real specific. And in my journal, because, because I felt guided that in the, just like, why don't you make a list of things you're tolerating right now? And I feel like in asking the questions, what boundaries should I be setting? Um, sit with, pull up, pull up a friendship or a connection that feels sore and just make a small list of what things, what, what ways am I, to- what things am I tolerating? What things, if I could be honest, if I, cause whenever somebody tells me, oh, uh, you know what I wish I could have said was dot, dot, dot. I'm like, well, why don't, why don't you say that in some way? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I could never do that. That would hurt them. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a boundary that wants to be set. Yeah. Yeah. To- tolerate. Cause when you first brought up the word tolerate, I wasn't clear mm-hmm. what you were, if, if you were using tolerate in kind of a positive sense, because mm-hmm. I don't hear the word tolerate as positive. I feel like tolerate for me is, mm-hmm. is we're compromising ourselves in a way that feels uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like, I'm not interested in your tolerance and <laughs> I'm not interested in tolerating things, but I love, I love what you're saying, like listing, looking at those places where you are in that energy and also resentment. Re- resentment is like a direct line to, mm-hmm. for me, to boundaries being crossed. Yeah. And if we can reflect on those things, we're likely to see places where we need to speak up. And then Jacob, of course, it comes to, are we willing to speak up? So Mm -hmm. we're, we're Mm -hmm. so afraid to state clearly what it Mm -hmm. is we need or what it is we seek. It's like, we're terrified to be honest, especially with oftentimes with people we love the most. Mm -hmm. I think in part because we're afraid of in any way jeopardizing the friendship but Mm -hmm. or a relationship. But if the relationship can't handle your honesty, Mm -hmm. what exactly are you jeopardizing? Like what kind of relationship are you jeopardizing if it can't handle you being authentically you within the context of it? That's right. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm with you on the word tolerate. I want to know if I'm tolerating something and 
Oh, interesting. Okay. So there's also an aspect of it. If you think of a machine, of a machine, like a motor, and there's, there is a tolerance between the, the moving parts and in, in a machine, a lot of times what, what keeps that workable, having that space between them is oil, you know, mm-hmm. in human relationships, I feel like there are times when that person's speed or style or whatever it is, is not going to feel perfect to me. And I'm not going to necessarily be able to beat every single person in my life into a shape that is perfectly suited to me. And so the tolerance, and I think the difference between eight, having a tolerance, having space there and, and really evaluating, okay, is, is, does this need to be fine tuned? But the space in human relationships in my mind is in not, it's not oil, it's grace. It says, I, I have, uh, pardon me, <clears throat> I have an older friend and this person is quite uh, prominent in a certain field and um, I just feel honored to be in, a, in connection. And there have been some boundary crossings over the last couple of years and it felt hard and it, you know, and this person is really valuable to me in so many ways. And and I began to have to ask myself the question, though, Scott, like, okay, at what point am I trading? There's always an exchange. At what point am I trading self-respect and what really is good for me for the other benefits that this connection brings me? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am, am I willing? Can I resolve? And here's, here's my personal test. If I, if I have a situation with someone... And I find myself frequently having internal arguments with them in my head, or I find myself talking about them um, or about the situation more than a couple of times. That's that's the uh, alert for me. That's the red flag that says you either need to resolve this internally, Jacob, and and come to a conclusion on on how you want to move forward with it, or you need to go and, and be honest with them, like. Mm-hmm. And I've done this on occasion. It's I, I've resolved that. Oh, and this goes back to the previous example of a boundary that we talked about. Um, I used to feel like I owed everybody that level of heart, energy, honesty, work it out, and that was exhausting because I discovered that not everybody was meeting me at that level. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that I was that I was pouring out that level of what to me is precious, vital energy of my life Mm -hmm. to try to really meet them and resolve something. In some cases, the relationship really didn't warrant that. And so it was okay just to create quick and uh, fairly permanent distance in that situation. Yeah. I like what you're bringing up because it's a reminder that there really aren't rules to things (laughs) and each dynamic is its own dynamic. And Mm -hmm. And for me, it it comes back to, again, always, okay, given whatever choice you're making within the context of the experience of the relationship you're having, how do you feel? Mm -hmm. How do you Mm -hmm. feel? And if you feel okay with your choices, okay with the relationship, good about it, whatever, beautiful. If you're continuing to feel resentful or like things are toxic or whatever, then it's time to make a different choice, Mm -hmm. right? Or continue to live in that feeling of resentment and toxicity. And again, why, 
Why would we do that to ourselves? Why? Oh, history, it's, the number yeah. of people who are like, but we've been, we've been friends for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Great. What, so mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Do, like, do you want to live in the present or do you want to live in the past? Yeah. Do you want to live in alignment with what feels good or in alignment with what doesn't? Right. These are for me, they're, they're so much of, and I know I say this in a way, I know everything that we talk about sounds much simpler than the reality of it is. And at the same time, so much of, of healing and spiritual growth is very basic. Pay attention to how you're feeling mm -hmm. within the choices you're making and adjust your choices accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this, in this, in this case, um, because I feel like it continues to expand on what you just said, Scott, I, I began to realize the value of this particular connection to me across in, 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 on a number of different levels and the taller, the toleration, the tolerance to fill with grace is, and here, here is, here is a person who is, has dealt with these things in life and is genuinely has, has, has these challenges. And I, you know, if, if the answer was this person is really being um, cruel or being terribly disrespectful or something. That's, that's something to deal with directly and, and figure out. But there are times when let's say it's a, an elderly grandparent who's in a lot of chronic pain um, and you know, whatever, or whatever the situation might be, it's sometimes easy to go. And again, this is where I think the sim, the sim, um, the oversimplification of cut toxic people out of your life. Right. Right. It's like, it's like, wait a minute. No, it's not great. It's not, um, it's not healthy to tolerate disrespect. And I love the example you gave of your friend who, who literally taught her mother how to change a longstanding pattern fairly quickly. That's mm -hmm. so brilliant. It's so good. Um, but to, um, to, and I feel like this is one of those things of bringing the unconscious into the conscious, you know, and saying, okay, I'm willing to make a conscious choice here. I'm willing to make these accommodations. I'm not willing to make these other accommodations, but these accommodations. And if that turns out to be enough, that's for me, that's an internal boundary. That's not even one that I have to necessarily go and express or hit somebody in the face with. It's like, no, internally, I will create distance or I will address it, you know, directly if, if it crosses this point. But in, in this area, in this range, we're all bumpy, quirky, weird fuckers. We just all, all, all yeah. of us, every one of us. That's, oh wait, don't forget that. Cause that's going to be the title. Bumpy, quirky, weird fuckers. <laughs> we have awesome. to remember that. I don't have a, I don't know why I don't have a pen and paper near me, but I feel like I'll remember it. <laughs> I feel like I will too. Okay. Yeah. It's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I hear what you're saying. And uh, there was something I wanted to say about that. I'm looking something up because it reminds me of something I feel like I've read here before, but, um, uh, but please interrupt me. I, you have my full permission to interrupt me now. I'm basically trying to, uh, trying to talk, fill the space with my babble. I, I was just also thinking about like, in terms of some of the, the friendships that I'm, I'm avoiding saying falling, falling out, fallings out, but that's really what happened. You know, we parted ways, but it felt like a falling out when it was happening. And the, 
the the ways in which sometimes our desires aren't going to be met, especially when it comes to the notion of closure. Mm. And I think sometimes mm. we get we get caught up in the sense that in order to move on, we have to have closure. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that's just another trick of the mind at times mm-hmm. to prevent us from moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is there's oftentimes in relationships, we don't get the closure we want when they end. Even if even if you sit down and have a discussion, you're not necessarily going to have all your whys answered. And we have to get to a place of being okay with that. Like there, mm-hmm. with these few friends, I would have loved to have an in-depth like meeting of the minds and hearts conversation, like a closure conversation Mm -hmm. so that there wasn't any lingering Mm -hmm. whatever, which a closure conversation doesn't guarantee, but, Mm -hmm. and that didn't, that didn't happen. It Mm -hmm. hasn't happened. And, and that's okay. Right. We, we've got to be okay with not knowing why sometimes. Bless you. He just was very silent. That was the most silent sneeze I've ever heard. Or did you mute yourself? That's that's because I hit the mute button. Oh, okay. Because I'm like, it was a very aggressive looking sneeze, but very quiet. Well, yeah, I'm a magician. I'm also a goddamn adult, so I try to hit the mute button sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I should should rephrase that. Sometimes I'm a goddamn adult. All right. Yeah, and I feel like I've read this here before, Scott, but it's Adrian Rich and... An honorable human relationship, that is, one in which two people have the right to use the word love, is a process, delicate, violent, often terrifying to both persons involved, a process of refining the truths they can tell each other. It is important to do this because it breaks down human self-delusion and isolation. It is important to do this because in doing so, we do justice to our own complexity It is important to do this because we can count on so few people to go that hard way with us. Mm. I don't think you read that before. No. Because I don't think I've heard it before. Mm. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I love the honoring of complexity. And for me, there are some people, you know, with the, in the, in the Myers-Briggs, in the INFJ, um, framework, which, which I am, there's something that's known as the, the door slam. And it usually takes a long time to get there, but then it's just this, like, I, I saw an IFJ meme one time that said, I don't hate you. I nothing you. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and no, it's something very interesting to me because I, I have a couple of people in my life where there is clear there, that, that, um, trait or whatever of having a, an internal door slam where there's been toleration, toleration, honesty, heartfelt work on stuff. And then it just isn't going to, it's not going to get beyond that. And then at a certain point, it just becomes this really interesting, like there is a blank wall. And, and I love to work with that now. And I also love to not freeze frame people in a certain place. Cause I've had people, I felt very strongly that way about, and five years later, um, they grew, I grew, and we were mm-hmm. able to reconnect and discuss and, and honor each other's growth. And that felt so good. And my own mother was one of those people, not that I had a door slam with her, but there was some real tension between us for some years when I was cleaning up my boundaries with her. And 
it was during that time she was going through her master's degree program as a psychologist. And it was so interesting because a few years later, I came into a situation where she would have usually handled it in a certain way, uh, a, a habitual, you know, previous pattern kind of way. And I watched her do something completely different. And I told my sister, Emily, I said, that humbled me so much because it reminded me that I don't get to just keep snapshots of people and never and never let them become different than that, grow, change. Um, and I've watched my mother. She's a remarkable person. She's She'll be 70 this year. And it's pretty rare for somebody who gets, you know, late in life to keep having the cognitive flexibility and the growth mindset to, to actually grow out of some of those patterns. Usually by the time we hit middle age, things are pretty well set. And unless there's a real hunger to, to grow and change, um, a lot of times it just doesn't happen. So that was such a beautiful reminder and very close to home for me of allow people to change. But that doesn't mean I have to have somebody who's current process or state state of growth and change simply keeps hurting me over and over again. It doesn't mean that I have to keep holding them close to me while they, while they do whatever change. And it's actually a certain aspect of, of honoring their path, their growth. It's like, I'm going to honor you enough to go. I don't have to keep in bound together in lockstep with you while, while you're figuring it out. And neither is it up to me if you ever figure it out in the way that I would find to be uh, pleasing or appropriate or whatever. Yeah. Those are, I mean, yeah, allowing, allowing someone to change is very different than expecting someone to change mm. or waiting for them to change within the mm -hmm. context of the relationship you're experiencing, which I think you and I and everyone listening has probably learned several times over that you, you don't wait for someone to change that you're in relationship with. Like either figure out a way to love them as they are and accept them as they are. And if you can't do that in a way that feels good and need to move on, great. But waiting around because you're hoping and expecting that they're going to suddenly become a different person than they've shown themselves to be for however many years is one of the most futile processes I think that we all have gone through any number of times. Mm -hmm. But I love that you're speaking to also not putting them in a cage, mm -hmm. not like even if you've decided that it's time to part ways, not in five years, if they have grown and evolved into someone different, not continuing to only see them through that tight lens of who they were five years prior. Mm -hmm. Like for me, that's, that's the gift of life. Like that is the gift of openness. When we are really present, we are allowing for whatever is going on in the moment without any attachments to how things were in the past. And yeah. that is when I feel we automatically, energetically invite into our lives and our experience myriad possibilities. That's where the unknown lives, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I try to remind myself of this often. It's like, don't, don't live in a box. Don't put anyone else in a box as, as much as possible because sometimes we get so we've talked about our stories and I feel like that's what we do to ourselves so often with our stories. We place ourselves within the context of the stories and then we're in a new moment. We're being presented with new possibilities that can take us somewhere new. And, and yet we have locked ourselves into this old story that doesn't allow us to move forward in this new moment mm -hmm. as the person we really are right mm -hmm. now. Does that make sense? Completely.
And we yeah. do ourselves such a disservice by doing that. But if we can, if we can become, and I think there's so much focus on the present moment in part because it's understanding that if you are really present, you have almost discarded everything, but what is happening right now and in the now lives endless possibility. Mm -hmm. you know? It does. And I love, I love sitting near people who are acknowledging maybe for the first time the forces that have turned into patterns in their lives, um, including often its relationships, you know, or the dynamics of those relationships that just seem like solid brick walls. These are realities. <laughs> and sitting with them and having, have, you know, especially, especially if they show up, uh, quoting Eckhart Tolle over the top of their discomfort, uh -huh. especially if, oh, I just need to be more present. It's like, and I'm, I'm not saying that in a mocking tone, but I mean, a lot of times it ends up being trying to mantra over the top of mm -hmm. things that really need to be addressed. And so I don't feel like we can get to self-love without deeply acknowledging the places we hate ourselves and yes. inviting those things forward and realizing those are shadows. Those are, those are rejected, abandoned, disowned parts of, of us. And I feel like this in the same way. So trying to get to a feeling of liberation in the, in the moment without acknowledging the things that have previously um, created pain and prison walls, I think those, I think that is, that is also a futile uh, attempt. Yeah. And that's not in any way contradicting what you said. It's like, the truth is, if we could have a flash, <laughs> Satori moment of our neural pathways and suddenly just not have those neural pathways attached to all the stories and narratives and pains and things like that, if we could have that moment and maybe occasionally we get gifted with that. Um, the truth is that is a moment of real magic. That is a moment where all possibilities can exist. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is, is a remarkable, I've had one or two of those in my life where it was like, whoa, in this particular split second, I feel very, very free right now, free of the past, free of the future. And to try to stay in that constantly is becomes, becomes a, is a, a different version of an ego trip for me. Anyway, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. But I to welcome it and say, thank you. Oh my God, that felt so good. <laughs> and I got clarity, you know? Absolutely. No, those were all great points. And I think, I think self-love is, is one of the pathways to experiencing that more because in self-love there is deep acceptance of all that we are. And mm. when we are in deep acceptance of all that we are, we're not in our stories. We've accepted, like, I, that's the gift of, of acceptance. And, and believe me, the depth of acceptance that I feel is possible, I have touched a handful of times also, mm -hmm. because I do believe there's always a deeper level of acceptance to anything. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. in that space is just peace when you've gotten to kind of the bottom of the acceptance spiral. Mm -hmm. But when you're living, when, if, if you are committed to a to practicing self-love in whichever ways you're practicing it that will naturally build i believe in your life more acceptance of the shadow parts and understanding that, the, that they're entirely human we're all living with them it's not necessary to hate them that is a choice 
and and we can start making different choices. We can invite all aspects of ourselves to our table, mm-hmm. even the stuff that are that are that are tough to look at, mm-hmm. you know. And the more we're able to do that, I think naturally the more present we become because we're not we're not lost in that battle all the time. We're not lost in the self abuse and the judgment that's taking us out of our presence. We're not, you know, and again, this is for, for me. And I think for most of us, it's a lifelong journey, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we're gifted like you were with these tastes, these moments, these experiences where it's just, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I welcome as many as those as we can receive. And it's, but, and you said you've had two and maybe I've had two or three, who knows, but they're so sweet Mm -hmm. that it keep, it keeps you inspired to keep on this path because yeah just even seconds of taste of that kind of presence is worth it. Yeah. yeah and I don't know if it's only two, but, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, but, a, but a handful You're being of certain, <laughs> as I, as I do, you know, yeah. <laughs> generally win the Olympics in, uh, humility, the, the humbleness Olympics is what I like to say. <laughs> People love they're like, Oh my God, you are so great. I'm like, Oh my God, I really am. <laughs> Well, and, uh, yeah, my sister Emily uh, has done so much work with the internal family systems model, and mm-hmm. um, that to me is that is a very um, I don't know, tangible is the right term here, but understandable, accessible method of 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 shadow work because shadow work is I mean I love that term it's Jungian it's all sorts of things uh, for a lot of people it it sounds either scary or it sounds mystical and murky and I love the internal family systems in that they teach us how to begin naming the parts, you know, and also like, okay, there's, there's my firefighter, there's my manager's internal self, there's, you know, there's the parts of me that are showing up to these situations. And this is how they react or respond in these situations. And this is how I would, and, and so they become no longer, are they these demons, these just, you know, freakish or horrible, um, disgusting, repulsive parts of, of the self. It's more like, Oh no, that's, I can see why I developed that firefighter, that, that thing that's just going to like go out blazing to protect me. And to begin to then understand that every one of those, every one of those inner parts that are so easy to reject and abandon, um, my God, they've been doing, they've been doing some job in my life. Every one of them has been doing some job. Now I'd love to invite it into a more, uh, oh, a more effective, a more peaceful, a more loving, whatever it is, you know, more creative approach. So it doesn't have to keep, you know, if it's a firefighter part, like doesn't have to keep just blazing people down, burning them mm-hmm. down uh, because it's, but it's doing a job. Some, at some point it developed to do a job of protecting me, of doing something. And, you know, it's funny, Scott, my brother, Nate, uh, did a personality assessment the other day. And this one was, you know, it's kind of on the big five. So agreeable, disagreeable is a, is a big feature in there. Nate is very high on the dis- disagreeable scale. <laughs> and, and, and no one around him would, would, uh, would argue with that <laughs> ever since he was born. And what's interesting though, is Nate is, um, Nate is a tender guy and he's, and, he, and he's committed to his own growth and he just loves so deeply and he's also the guy who, when I hang out with him and his kids, they're in constant, they're in constant disagreement over stuff. 
stuff that for me it'd be like are you what are we even talking about here like uh, uh, we don't even need to have that discussion that's not even but but nate's wired to be to just i am very wired to be very agreeable tend to be and what's interesting is those of us who are wired to be agreeable we get a lot of accolades in society because we appear to be very nice people yeah Absolutely. And the key word is appear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, inside we're like, fuck you. <laughs> well, and there's there's this trade, and this was such a big deal for me when I began to spot it years ago. I was like, oh my God, look at that. Because it was easy to look at my brother Nate or other people, you know, who have disagreeable hire and it's like, oh, they're so they're just control freaks, they're just assholes. And and again, because disagreeableness does it does create friction around them. A lot of times they begin to take on a narrative of, yeah, I'm just an asshole. I'm just, you know, I'm just mean or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not getting, they're not getting the gold stars all the time for being these wonderful self-sacrificing, charitable, generous people. But what I began to discover was that I was every bit as much of a control freak. Mm-hmm my my overserving my lack of boundaries my will my always willingness to you know be nice um and i like to distinguish that from kind but to be nice which often meant not being honest and yeah. not not being honest about how i felt not even being honest to myself about how i actually felt um that was its own form of control freakery and um yeah yeah and in what i mean in in the way you're describing nate also and in 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 some disagreeable energies, I think that those are the people oftentimes that are the provocateurs. They're pushing Mm -hmm. the buttons and they're challenging people Mm -hmm. to get more honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not just nodding their heads and being agreeable and saying, yes, yes, yes. In the, the Lakota tradition, one of the teachers is the, I think it's called Hayoka. I might be getting Mm -hmm. this wrong, but the Hayoka teacher is is the the jokester, the trickster. <laughs> so the medicine that they offer is all about pushing buttons. It's mm-hmm. all about challenging you to stay grounded while being confronted with somebody who is provoking, intentionally provoking. And that's really powerful medicine. And I think most, most teachers, to some degree, if they're being honest, are going to be doing that. They're mm-hmm. going to be, they're going to be perhaps highlighting spots in you that don't feel like they're really aligned with your truth where you're being full of shit. That's for me. I, ayahuasca has been one of the most powerful teachers I've ever had. The first, Hmm. the second ceremony I did with ayahuasca, I went in and my intention was, please just show me what I need to be shown. And the, that ceremony bolt <laughs> almost always the, almost the whole thing i don't know for how many hours yeah what the medicine was showing me was how full of shit i am in my life and it felt like watching a film strip of mm. hundreds and hundreds of scenarios where i wasn't being authentic mm-hmm. for whatever reason fear of being judged fear of being misunderstood fear of failing whatever it was but i was showing up inauthentically and mm. that is such important teaching Right. It's such important teaching to get to to be able to to have a willingness to look at the places within you that are not living in alignment with your truth, Mm -hmm. because only when you're when you're shining a spotlight on those places, can you make different choices. 
Can you say, I am no longer going to say these things that are a product of my conditioning or my fear. I am instead with courage going to speak these words that are real for me. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And I, I, I sort of muttered, you're bold when you said it. Yeah, I asked to be shown <laughs> like, oh my God, that's no, in my experience with, with those powerful medicines, like that is, it's like, well, you wanted to get in the deep end, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is my, that is always my prayer. That's like yeah. my core intention for any yeah. plant medicine ceremony is show me what I need to be shown. Yeah. Right. Because w- what, what else are you doing plant medicine for? <laughs> Do you know, or what, like, what else are you doing healing work for? If yeah. not to be shown where, you know, where you're full of shit, you know, where there's work to do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, um, I had a meeting this last week with, uh, this woman named Casey from California and she's, um, become really quite an expert in microdosing with a lot, a lot with psilocybin, but some other things as well. And um, we had an incredible meeting and we're actually going to do a workshop with her soon um, where it's kind of an introduction to and helping people understand. And I said, so Casey, tell me this, like she mentioned at some point, dropped the phrase, you know, in some, like some people, this doesn't work that well for, I said, okay, tell me about that. And she said, um, oh, you mean the reasons it might not work for people? I said, yes. She said, well, my sense is that it kind of will work for anyone but and especially at the micro micro level where they're not just diving in to have this big this big full of fireworks experience um because she said we we teach people the the practice of reconnecting with themselves um of of really turning it into a practice in their lives not just not just a big peak peak moment experience peak experience um that sometimes is really hard to integrate but she said yeah the three the three biggest reasons we see um, if, you know, there's kind of physiological, if people are coming off of SSRIs, antidepressants, things like that, it can actually take a while for their bodies. So it might take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might feel disappointed with not getting quick results or quick insights. Um, she said, the other one is when people show up with overblown expectations, they, they're going for the, they're going for the grand finale, like all at once, all the fireworks. Uh, and they, she said, there's so much now in popular culture and in, in business, there's, there's so much focus on it and so, so much excitement around it that people show up a lot of times with too big of expectations. She said the third one, and she said, this is probably the most common is, is people who are pretty rigid and really need life to meet them on their terms. So they have a hard time going mm-hmm. into a situation, um, you know, and it's like, no, I, this is how I'm going to want it to be. And she said, once again, with patience, and it's not just plant medicine, it's really any practice, you're getting yeah. ready to go and do the breath work um, training. And I mean, I've, I've watched that be fucking remarkable. Um, but if I roll in going, okay, I'm going to have a, a natural breath psych- psychedelic experience, and it's going to do all these things for me, <laughs> um, or I need, I need it to show up in this exact way. Um, and I think this kind of oddly connects to everything we're talking about today, Scott. Like Yes, with presence. Right. You know, because when you're coming in with those expectations, mm-hmm. you're automatically not present, really. Right. Because you're bringing in past expectations to the moment of experience in, instead of as much as possible just allowing the experience to be what it is. And this well, that's is what, yeah. it's not easy, you know, of course, because we have minds and our, this is what our minds do. This is what our right. minds have been trained to do. Yeah. You know? 
yeah, we are those. What was the name? What's the title for this episode? Shoot, I've already I forgot. Something bumpy, great. bumpy, quirky, weird fuckers, or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, okay, there was yeah. bumpy in it for sure, and quirky. Yeah, I think it was bumpy, quirky, weird fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the truth is that's, and I think the deep, the more deeply I can acknowledge that in my own life, in my connections with people, yeah. with myself, <laughs> if I can do that more and more deeply it allows me to keep showing up. You talked about earlier about being present. It allows me to show up, you know, for me being present simply means exactly what you did in the ayahuasca journey, which is showing up with curiosity, showing up with openness and realizing that everything we're talking about today is a process of developing the emotional, um, spiritual, psychological muscle to know that we're always safe, that we can be with any situation that, that presents itself it might not be fun or comfortable, but we 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 are we are indestructible. The deepest part of ourself is indestructible, and so that allows me then, as a human, to more often to more often experiment with what if I was what if I were just a little bit more honest in this situation where I usually hide my truth more, my feeling about it. What if I were just a little bit more honest? Um, and I would also encourage anyone listening to this today saying, oh my God, you know, I see these people out there just blazing away and telling their truth and they're so vulnerable and so big and bold and honest and, and brave. And I'm, and they, a lot of people feel shame. I know this because I've worked with a lot of people who, who have admitted to that. Like, I just feel so ashamed that I'll never be that honest. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what if, and so I've often invited people, what if what if you don't have to go and be bold and brave and big with, with the whole world right now on social media or on a blog or even directly to someone's face? What if you start by writing in your own notebook the most honest thing you can mm -hmm. just in the privacy? What if you're that honest just with yourself, just for a moment? What if that's the beginning stages of, of the psychological, emotional, spiritual workout that will help you build muscles so that eventually, but the idea of I'm going to go from being this repressed, frightened, codependent little creature into being this bold Glennon Doyle <laughs> person out there in the world, that's a bridge too far for most people, I think. Yeah. Beautiful. I think that's a beautiful way to close this one out. I love what you just shared. And you gave kind of like an assignment to people if they choose to accept it, get honest <laughs> with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the you're now you're diving right out of this episode and going into an intensive like a whole week, right? A whole week, yeah. Tomorrow, yes. Okay. I'm very, very, very excited about it. Well, I'm so excited. I can't wait. We've been talking about, and I have several other people now. I've uh, several other teachers talking about it in person, possibly at the Sedona Mago retreat. But I cannot wait to have you bring what you're learning to. To work with people i am so me. excited i've oh already like every friend i've talked to him like i'll practice on you I'll, I've, I've offered a lot of sessions for, so you, i'll offer it to you too jacob oh, one, oh I, I would love that i've i've had a few sessions and every time every time i go away from it it's like i need to i need more of that <laughs> it's I powerful i know that's how i felt have felt too yeah. 
Cool, brother. Well, well, to all in the, the listeners, thank you yeah. so much. And what were you going to say, Jacob? Well, I just wanted to say in the week that you're gone and we're not doing an episode, I will spend some time on any responses, people, any comments people have sent in, and we'll, we'll acknowledge those next time we do an episode. Um, I meant to do it today, and we just I raced in off the road and jumped down in front of the camera with you. So, Oh, beautiful. We'll do that next time. Yeah. I love you, brother. Love you too. Love, love everyone. You all. Love it's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.